Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Welcome to this episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. Stephanie Sir is one of the most experienced regional theatre managers in Britain. She's been chief executive of the Nottingham Playhouse for almost 20 years. She's also vice president of the UK Theatre Association and, during the pandemic, has become something of a national spokesman for her industry. Her good humour and ability to thrive in adversity are very well known, which is why we are delighted to welcome Stephanie Sir as our guest on this week's NBS Business Leaders podcast. Hello. So, Stephanie, obviously... The last 12 months have been a, a big test of your leadership. Playhouse, like every other theatre, has been closed for a year. How have you survived? I think the good thing about running a theatre is people want you to succeed. Um, so you have that goodwill behind you. You know, you have that kind of feeling of, oh, we need to find a solution to this. And, and we want you to find a solution to this. Theatre is all about solving unsolvable problems in a way. You know, if you were going to sit down and create a business from scratch these days, I'm not sure it would be a theatre. Uh, and so that feeling of um, doing things against odds, doing things that on the face of it look difficult, but actually finding a way to deliver them is quite common to theatre. That's quite, you know, that's pretty much at the core of what we do. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, we have a wonderful team at the Playhouse. We had to furlough most of them, well, about 90% at one point. But people, they love what they do. You don't really work in theatre for the money. So you have people who do it as a vocation, if you like. And I think that's also helpful that you have that kind of feeling of viewing it as a bit of a challenge, you know, something which we will prevail. Also, Mike, to be absolutely honest, if we'd known it was going to be a year, <laughs> I think we might have looked at it a bit differently. It's been in sort of bite-sized chunks of horror, hasn't it? So I think, you know, we thought we were going from March to May and then we thought we were going from May to September and then we thought we'd be open for Panto. And I think they've meted out the, the agony in bite-sized chunks, which may have helped. OK, but being, a, but being you know, having a, a, a staff or a group of people working for you who who love what they do, that must be a double-edged sword as a leader. So in some ways it makes things a little bit easier, but it must make things a little difficult in other ways. I think it's the only way in which it makes it more difficult is that there is that I don't think people look at it and go um, oh well if this doesn't work out I'll just get another job I don't think it works like that and I think if you do certain certain jobs in the playhouse there aren't really other places in the city where you can do that job you know so we're the producing theatre so we employ people who have very specialist skills you know you might be a props maker or a paint shop worker or you know a wardrobe person and if you're not working for Nottingham Playhouse and you want to live in these Midlands. You don't have many other choices. So I think that's a, that's a pressure in the sense that it is vocational and the vocation is rare, I guess. You know, opportunities are rare. If you need a boost and you look around you at people who love what they're doing and want to be back doing it, that, that's great, you know. But you've been doing it for, oh yeah, I don't, you probably don't want to be remembered, but you've been yeah. chief exec for 20 years now, almost 20 years, and been very, very successful. But that's a long time doing the same job. How do you stay motivated, refreshed, relevant? Yeah, it is a long time. The job's changed beyond all recognition, though. So I think if the job was the same job I came to do back in uh, 2001, then no, I wouldn't still be at the Playhouse. Arts leadership is really different now from when I started in it. So I got my first theatre to run when I was 29, and I'm nearly 56. And the difference now is unrecognisable. And that, you know, that keeps life interesting. 
But um, the accountability is unrecognisable from back then. You know, and I've worked in the commercial sector and I've worked in the subsidised sector. Um, and, uh, yeah, quite rightly, if you're in receipt of public money, then you, you have to be accountable. That's always been the case. But now you do feel yeah, it's, it's much, much, much more about business planning and much less uh, about art. And, you know, and I, I am passionate about business. That's fine. I think if I came into the job now, I probably wouldn't apply for my job now because it's very, very business focused. And that's why a lot of people going into run theatres now, the, the business skills are really essential now. They really are, you know, just a, a love for the arts and a you know passion for theatre and participation. That's not enough. That's not going to get you through the doors. It's got to be those. It's got to be underpinned by those real rock solid financial and um, change management skills, really. Yeah, change management. I, I understand that. But the Playhouse is a business, as you just said, proper P&L. But, you know, in essence, it's still a charity. Social aims. You're very prominent in Nottingham. You have national profile and reputation to look after. So you've got all these competing, juggling responsibilities. Is that difficult? I think the thing is, they're not competing responsibilities. <laughs> There's a lot of juggling. But I think actually the thing that people respect and value about Nottingham Playhouse is that at core, it's there for the community. It's there for everybody. And the word community means means everyone you know it doesn't just mean in their mind I think oh that means you're doing the free workshops in you know areas of deprivation and we are doing that but actually we're there for everybody we are a community servant like a cultural service um so as long as we keep that in mind and keep the work and the access to the work and people taking part in the work in the middle of what we do everything else kind of flows from that when it gets complicated and this happens less now than it used to is when people have an idea of what a theatre is and should do you know so I've had people say ridiculous things to me over the years so some of my favourites are someone once said to me black people don't go to the theatre <laughs> but well if that was the case we probably wouldn't be but you know we wouldn't be solvent um and it's ridiculous uh and was that, was that recently by the way I must, I must uh, that was to be fair that was about 10 years ago but that's Pretty recent. Um, yeah. I've had people say um, they joined the board and they, they said, because I want to see you do more opera. You know, well, that's not really what a trustee does. And also, we don't need to do that because that happens somewhere else. They think that the arts is a soft subject. They think creativity is a soft subject. It doesn't matter how much you throw the stats at them about the yeah, over 100 billion pounds of economic activity, you know, the contribution to GDPR, uh, GDPR, GDP, I'm obsessed by GDPR, to GDP, which is enormous, you know, many, many times the the fisheries, for example, they just can't get their head around it. And I think it's getting better, but that's the complication. It's not that we're pulled in different directions. It's that sometimes people can't or choose not to understand the value of what we do and what we are. But you, you manage, it seems from the outside looking into themselves, to keep good relations with pretty much everyone, all these politicians and sponsors and community, everyone who might buy a ticket. Is that, is that tiring? Is that exhausting being sort of trying to be all things to all men and women? Politically, it is easier in some ways. There are some things happening on the national stage, if you like, not stage, it's a political stage, that are quite worrying. And that's about um, arts activity in schools, because that's where it comes from. You know, I work in theatre because I did drama at school. And um, that's really worrying. So those things, those real grassroots things are really, really scary, I think, for, for creativity full stop, for the thing that this country does so well, which is creative industries. Cutting those things from schools is such a retrograde step. But in general, uh, the arts isn't really party political. You know, so you'll have people who who are passionate about culture who who may not share your political views, you know, and that, that doesn't really matter, does it? Because you're not there to talk about politics, you're there to talk about culture. I mean, obviously, culture is massively political because it's whose stories do you choose to, to choose to tell, you know, and how can people access those? So I'm not I'm not pretending for a moment that it's not, but 
um, you do find a lot of cross-party support for culture, and that's good to see. You <laughs> would have people who would sponsor the arts to kind of, um, I don't know, we had to, I used to work at a theatre called Savas Wells in London many, many years ago as a programmer, and there were some sponsors there back in the day, and it is a long time ago, so I can say this without risk of being sued, who were definitely sponsoring because they were doing some pretty dodgy things in some countries overseas, and they wanted to clean up their public image, if you like. Now, we wouldn't take money from people like that, but those kind of questions, they don't get, they don't really get asked these days. We don't have those kind of moral dilemmas because we're not really in that world anymore. But yeah, then it's then it's just so, someone comes to sponsor you and you go, I don't want your dirty money, thank you. So, so you so you'll take anybody's cash now? Is that right? No, we have a policy. We have a policy, but people don't bother. Do you know what I mean? They don't. I mean. I don't know who it would be, but, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, some theatres have that problem, don't they, nationally, about oil companies or whatever, that actually it's just not sympathetic with their brand to take that money, uh, and we haven't had that problem. But but you are vice president of the UK Theatre Association, so you do you do have a voice there representing Britain's big theatres. So how, how is that different? Is it is that a, a different skill set that you bring, bring to bear there? Yeah, I think that that's all about strategy for the industry as a whole. Um, UK Theatre is a great organisation and it's really changed over the years to be a lot more relevant and this, we're doing a lot of work around diversity, uh, a lot of work you know, alongside things like the Me Too movement. Um, so yeah, it, it's a good thing to be part of. It's, you know, theatre is a business like any other and so you will have all sorts of different people representing all sorts of different interests. And if you are a West End producer, you are doing it, you might love theatre, I'm not saying you don't love theatre, but you're really doing it to make money. You know, you're, you're doing it on a commercial basis. And so you're less concerned about the kind of moral, social, charitable type aims that someone like me might be bringing to the table. Do you have to fight your corner there? And do you have to sort of bang on the table and, and, and bring those and bring those things to the party? Yeah, I think I think the kind of point that I'm making in those conversations is that there are things that people think they're doing because it's good work. You know, this is a good thing to be doing. This is a charitable thing to be doing. And it's not. You're doing it because it's a business decision. So if you look at something like diversity, diversity is something you need to embrace because your customers are diverse. You know, so if you're running a business, don't think you're doing anyone a favour here. If you're running a business and you're not diverse, then you're going to be irrelevant extremely quickly unless you're on the Isle of Arran or something. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it's that kind of conversation. People tend to think they're doing someone a massive favour when, for, you know, for example, um, disability access. If someone has uh, BSL interpretive performances, they tend to view it as doing a massive favour. And you go, well, sure, you know, something like 10% of people are disabled. And there's a whole swathe of other people who are losing their hearing, you know, and a lot of those are older theatre goers. And they will be using your, um, you know, your DDEF support services at some point. They might be using the hearing loop or the... Um, the stats set, or they might be they might be uh, needing BSL. So don't view it like it's some massive favour. You know, this is part of what you should be offering to your customers. You've had a very focused career path. Um, Theatre is London, Somerset, Blackpool, Nottingham, and so it's quite obvious what you wanted to do, what you intended to do. But did you always want to be a leader? When you started off, did you think you'd end up in charge? Do you know what? I I was going to be a journalist. And um, oh, really? I went to interview Roland Muldoon, who who runs Hackney Empire, or did then rather. And for my ent- and I did a drama degree, and then I thought, oh, I'm never going to get a career doing this kind of malarkey, so I'll go and be a journalist. Actually, that's much easier, clearly. Um, and- <laughs> 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 much easier, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, and I went to interview Roland Muldoon, and we had a long chat, and he said, why do you want to be a journalist? Why don't you come and work at Hackney Empire? And um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in terms of leadership. So did you actually go, did you actually go and do that then? Did I did. Yeah, yeah. I, work, I worked for them. I worked with um, Claire Muldoon in the programming side of it for about three or four months. And then went to that well, Anyway, I digress. Leadership. I think leadership is like, you know, I've got people that work at the Playhouse who can beautifully cut 
and fit a dress on someone or they can tailor or they can beautifully paint a scene drop or they can run a workshop with people who are who've got significant you know social and personal pressures on them and I can't do those things and I think leadership is the thing that you you have a skill for it and then you realize you have the skill for it when someone lets you do it I guess so I didn't think I'd be in charge of a theatre I think I had some influential people when I was starting out on the kind of more of the administrative side of theatre having worked as an actor before and a director and a writer and once I changed tack and went for the kind of I'm going to do something where you get paid and you can afford a house, I just had some really good influential people who spoke to me. And, you know, some of those people were like, well, if you want, what do you want to do? Well, you know, I want to work in theatre. I wouldn't mind doing that person's job because I think I could do that. Well, in order to do that, you should you know, do this, this, this and this. And one of the key things about being a leader in theatre is leaving London. You know, I'm a Londoner and I never planned to be out of London this long. <laughs> you know, that wasn't that wasn't the at all but actually why would you want to work in London particularly when you know if you work in a, a smaller city you get all the benefits of being in London or nearly all the benefits of being in London but you can actually see the value and the impact of what you're doing which is amazing leadership yes I, I I love being in charge I don't I hope I'm not too much of a dictator with that I, I like the responsibility I do take it very very seriously I do try and I try and recruit really great people so that it's not me making decisions and everyone people else who are, people them. who are better than yourself or people who can yeah exactly yeah yeah you always employ someone that knows more about something than you do don't you because yeah, then, yeah. then you're going to get something really rich I think some people like leading and some people don't as well some people hate leading don't they and sometimes people go for jobs that they don't actually want they want to be promoted but they don't actually want to be the head of department or you know the chief exec or whatever and I think that's a real shame but one of the definitions about good leadership is learning to be yourself more skillfully. So, you know, so what's it taught you really about yourself? I need to be mindful that uh, my listening skills are something I've worked very, very hard on, you know, because there is that thing about let's do this, we'll do it like this. It's why I'm, it's why I'm a better um, better coach than mentor, you know. And, um, yeah, so what it's all about myself is I need to listen a lot more. And, you know, people say things to you as you're as you're climbing the greasy pole that um kind of jokey, but also kind of not. So, you know, there's this thing about not suffering fools gladly that I have to really look at because it's not for me to decide who's a fool and who's not a fool. Do you know what I mean? I'm quite a resilient person. You know, it doesn't mean I don't worry about things or have sleepless nights or things don't make me cry. You know, they do, but I am a pretty resilient person. And I think I think I'm really good at trying to understand what it is the other person is trying to get from the situation you know so I don't take things personally um I think that's something you learn after a while though to be fair I think it's completely understandable if initially when someone disagrees with you you think oh they think I'm stupid I think after a while you go no it's fine they just have a different agenda and what we need to do is find find out where our different agendas collide um, and find the things that we have in common and then work around that and then if you find out that actually this project is doomed because your respective objectives are, have nothing in common then you have a nice cup of coffee and you say oh well, never mind we'll work on something again in future. Something you've just touched on there people say that they often learn more from um, leaders learn more from their failures than their successes is the one occasion on which you thought oh lord I wish I'd gone left rather than right there. Yeah <laughs> I mean there are, there are things where Someone who's on my board says something recently, which I think is really relevant. And I, I wish I'd heard it years ago, which is that you can't agree to agree. You know, in theatre, we're all terribly nice to each other. We all get on terribly well. But actually, sometimes it's the relationships that are harder, that are less friendly, that are more kind of, you know, what exactly are we doing here and why, that are more successful. Because you can have, you know, you can get on like a house on fire. And on, on the face of it, you can seem to have shared objectives. And then actually, the thing ends up something completely wrong. And 
what can happen in the arts is people are they don't like to say no and they don't like to say actually I don't like that you know there's something very personal about art isn't there I've made this wonderful thing it's come from my soul and then he said I don't want that <laughs> <laughs> yeah could you take your soul could you take your soul home please <laughs> yeah yeah so I but that can happen and that's happened on projects that I've been involved with and sometimes I'm often wheeled in as bad cop which makes me a bit grumpy but you know it's, why is that why yeah. is that why, 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 <laughs> people people wheel you in as bad cop because <laughs> well, I can't imagine I can't imagine. Weird, isn't it? Um, you know, it's obviously you have to say, look, this isn't this has value, you know, this is great. It's actually not what we need either for this audience or you know, that's one of the key things. You know, we we serve our audiences. And if you set out to make something and then the artist goes one direction, but the audience needed them to go another direction, that's quite tricky, isn't it? You know, it's your right to be an artist, which you absolutely right to have an artist. But then if you're spending public money on something, the audience have a right to experience something that is what they actually will respond to. You know, that can get quite tricky. Yeah. Overarching in terms of your leadership, biggest challenge you 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 fit you faced or perhaps continues to be? Biggest challenge now is we have to reinvent again, you know, to be sustainable actually. Yeah. Um and it's it's not far off, but it means doing things differently. And we are a creative business and we've kept creativity at the heart of it. So we have full producing facility. So we're a bit like the factory and the factory shop in that sense. Uh, and that's the big challenge now is how do you make this sustainable? And I think training, not of us, but us delivering training is going to be part of that. You know, we want to get the next generation of theatre technicians and theatre artists and get good marketing skills. You know, some of those skills which are universal, they're just hard to recruit to because you, you will get paid more if you don't do it in theatre. You know, and so, yeah, that, I think that's a challenge at the moment, knitting it all together, relaunching it, making it sustainable. Apart from that, it's easy. <laughs> so in your experience, how do you think that, that leadership role is changing? You know, um, our, our, our organisations, I guess in your case, your trustees, becoming more understanding of the demands that, that, that they place on you? Or is there more equality of opportunity? I think leadership's really changed. And I think it's gone from being something quite macho and quite, you know, my way or the highway or, you know, never explain, never apologise or whatever it was. And it's completely different now. I think that's a good thing. Um, and I think your your sort of your your people skills, your emotional intelligence, is now absolutely paramount. And I don't think I don't know any boards that don't recognise that. You know that it's not it's not striding around invading small countries, is it? It's you know it's trying to make something with longevity and relevance, and that involves talking to people and consulting. I mean, I do love consulting. I love consultations. I think leadership is the ability to take to take the information that you need and know where to find the information that you need, to listen, to keep checking back. It's not about striding about issuing orders or being, I you know, try and be supportive of people. You know, you want, you want people to flourish. You want people to do the best they can do. Um, I think it's more about that now, which is probably the reason why I'm still doing it, because it has changed. And I think when I started, I was required to be quite a tough nut, you know, and there was more requirement then, I think, to be quite, to demonstrate that you could make difficult decisions. So does that mean you enjoy it more now? I think you don't feel like you're having to put on a performance, you know, and I don't know if that's being a, a woman chief executive or just all chief executives feel that. I think there was an element of showing that you could, you know, uh, tough, blah, you know, well, sometimes tough isn't what's needed. Yeah, you know, difficult decisions, I mean, the last year has been full of difficult decisions, horrible decisions, 
but not for the sake of it, you know, not to prove that you're something. It's, you know, if the, ultimately I work for the Playhouse, what the Playhouse needs, the Playhouse will get. You know, if I if I have to do things that make me feel uncomfortable, then that just comes with the territory. But I don't feel the need to do things to show that I can, you know. And I sure. think if you go back a bit, then that was the requirement. And that may have been because I was a female leader. It's like, oh, well, you know, are they really tough enough? But if I was to ask you for a single piece of advice for the for the young would-be leaders graduating this year from, say, not in a business school, what might that be? I think don't think you can't be a leader. You know, you don't need to come from a family of leaders or people in charge of anything. I certainly don't. I think think about what are the skills needed. Are you the person that um, can make clear plans? Are you the person that people come to with their problems? Are you the person who uh, likes organising things and can really take an overview? And if, if that's yes, you might be a really great leader. So don't let anyone else tell you that you're the wrong type of person to be a leader because leadership skills are not like that. That's fantastic advice. Stephanie, sir, thank you very, very much for joining us here on the NBS Business Leaders Podcast. You're very welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with the billion pound procurement man, Jonathan Sims, the big personality behind the big success of Sam Tropez, Judy Narka, and the serial entrepreneur, Shamshad Ahmed. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.